Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. So we're going to continue in our series on Weird today. Um, if you're brand new with us and you're just stepping in, we're in a series called Weird because normal isn't working. Is anybody getting something out of this? You're getting some stuff out of this? Is this helping you a little bit? Um, I hope that some of you just have sore arms and you're getting more out of it than you just confessed. Um, but for me, this has just been a challenging process to work through as, as I've read the book and studied and uh, understanding how we're supposed to be a little bit weird compared to society because normal isn't working. And if we're truly honest, if you look at many areas of your life, um, it's probably not functioning to the capacity that you wish it was just simply due to the fact that you're trying to compete with other people and we compare to other people. This morning, uh, I want to read to you the verse, our key verse, and it's just Matthew 7, uh, verse 13 to 14. And it's such a good verse and a reminder for all of us that our life is supposed to look different. It's supposed to be a little bit challenging to live a life for God because we're not supposed to just go with the flow. And so Matthew says this, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. That means the road that we are supposed to walk on Only a few find it. Only a few of us find it. Now, I'll be honest, as I say that, a lot of people immediately be like, well, Chad, we've all accepted Jesus Christ. We've all following him. We're all trusting him. I believe that. But the verse that holds me accountable is when Jesus says, many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these wonderful things for you? And he says, away from me. I never knew you. And so there's about a personal relationship with the Lord that if you just come on Sunday mornings, but you're not reading your Bible during the week, and if you're not spending time with him and creating a relationship with him, do you know him? And that's why we're supposed to look a little weird. And so today we're actually going to look at relationships and how we're supposed to be weird in our relationships. So for everybody sitting in the room, I'm just going to tell you right now, just because a lot of times we talk about relationships. Yes, we are going to talk about marriage this morning. We are going to talk about a relationship with children this morning. And I believe whether you have your own biological children or it's just spiritual children, I want you to know every one of us interacts with children, and we need to understand what we're supposed to do that's different. And then also just be weird in our relationships with other people. And so those are the three things we're going to talk about this morning. So the first one we are going to look at is marriage. We are supposed to have a weird marriage. Some of you might automatically confess, oh, my marriage is weird. Uh, Don't say it too loud. Don't amen. Don't elbow your spouse. Um, But here is the thing that's supposed to be different. Many of us, whether Christian or not Christian, um, we are searching for that one. Our heart's desire is for that one. We're looking for the one. And sometimes girls are way more at this than guys. Like girls are dreaming about the one. They're planning their wedding day. They've already got stuff decorated. They have it all figured out. Um, Guys, they just want to know if it's an all-inclusive resort and we can eat as much as we want. That's all I really want to know. 
Um, there's other details, but that's for another Sunday. But it's also, what the thing is, is we concentrate so much on trying to find the one. Trying to find the one. And here is the difference as a Christian. You're not supposed to find the one. You're supposed to find the two. Whoa. See, if that just hit YouTube, that is so out of context, isn't it? Now every, I have everybody's attention. Because you are. You're supposed to find the two, not the one. Because God is supposed to be your one. And the number two in your life is supposed to be your spouse. And what happens in our marriages that throws our marriages off is we reverse those. Sometimes we reverse it so much that God works himself down to below where our kids are. He works his way down below where our work is. And so this is where in our understanding, if you are searching for a spouse, if you are praying for a spouse, what you need to do first is put God on the throne of your life. If your marriage is in shambles, if your marriage is kind of in the spot where you're just like, Chad, I'm just glad that we made it here today. Don't ask us to hold hands because I'll break his fingers. <laughs> Can I just challenge you that maybe this morning your priorities in your marriage are out of whack? That the fact that you are trying to please your spouse over pleasing God. And when we get that order mixed up, our marriage will not function correctly. Because see, Matthew 6, Jesus says this in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I believe that once you get your life correct, that once you are put God on the throne of your life, that he is number one. If you are searching for a spouse, your spouse will come into the picture later. I believe if your marriage is rocky, if your marriage is rough, maybe it's like breaking point, I believe that if you put God on the throne of your life, you will be able to serve your spouse better. Yes, I use the word serve because that's what God has called us to do. Serve one another. So to have a healthy marriage, one of the three things we need to do is we need to concentrate on it, we need to communicate, and we need to collaborate. And so this morning, we just want to touch real quick, we need to concentrate on the marriage. How many people know the grass is greener No, not on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. You're just not looking after your grass. You want healthy grass? You have to fertilize it. I have a blessing. Somebody fertilizes my lawn for me, and I honestly didn't know how many times you had to fertilize it until they started doing it. And I'm like, that's a lot of work. But when we lived in Strathroy, they, this, the town is built on like an underground lake. So everybody has what's called a sandpoint pump. And all it is, you like hammer this pipe through the ground, and you hit water. Some people's houses, they hit water in like 10 feet. So everybody waters their lawn for the cost of running like a three-pound pump. The guys in the room are starting to drool. So do you know how many lawns in, in Strathroy have in-ground sprinkler systems? Like so many of them. 
There's some that their front lawn looks better than some of the golf greens I've played on. And I've played on some nice ones. But here's what I found out living there. For to have a healthy lawn, I have to look after it. I have to water it. And you have to water it at certain times. Too often in our marriages, we don't look after it. We don't spend time watering the lawn. We don't spend time looking after it, nurturing it, and pouring into it. Genesis 2.24 says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Do you know the word united? It's a Hebrew word, debag, I think is how I say it. If somebody, don't even worry about it. You'll butcher it too, but you'll think you got it right. <laughs> but it means this. It means to cling, to cleave, as if bone to skin. This is how close we're supposed to be. We are supposed to cling and cleave, and we seek after, we pursue. For some reason, too many of us believe that once we are married, we've got it done. And we sit back, and we relax, and we think the marriage will look after itself. We don't have to do anything more. We're married. Do you know that that's usually when the work starts? Because I don't know about you, I always warn people, don't, as you're starting to date and stuff, don't go on a date by yourselves. Because can I tell you something? I can fake it for a couple hours. How prim and proper do you want me to be? No problem. But ladies, if you date somebody in a group, you get a dude around a bunch of his friends, eventually he's going to slip up and act like he normally does. <laughs> Gentlemen, you date a girl around a bunch of her girlfriends. Eventually you're going to find out exactly what they're like. I heard one of the best dating advice ever. You want to find out what your spouse is truly like, give them a slow internet connection. Find out what their personality is like. That was just a joke. <laughs> but a lot of times we sit back, we just relax, and we forget that the way we got our spouse, and understand when I say God, I understand we fall in love with each other, with each other. but do you realize the only reason Melissa fell in love with me was one, it was a miracle. <laughs> I'll just confess. That's the other side of this. You put God number one, he does some miracles. <laughs> but we pursued them. We sought after them. We loved on them. We poured into them. We made them the second one in our lives. I know so many times we want to say we put them first. But we got them because we've fallen in love. We concentrated on each other. Here's what you need to realize. As you begin to have children and children come into a marriage and into a family, you have to realize that child is only in your life for maybe 18 years. Then they're off to school. And sadly, in today's society, they move back till they're about 40. But <laughs> most times, they're only in your life for about 18 years. What you have to realize is your spouse is supposed to be there forever. So yes, your spouse comes before your children. Now, we also have to understand on that statement, there's health times. When people are sick, guys, we have to understand, 
We have to understand that when kids are sick, our wives' heart and the way God designed them is to look after and nurture. So when there is sickness, when there's things happening in your life, you have to look in a mirror and say, what is affecting my marriage right now? What is just going on? And stop being selfish. We have to communicate. See, we understand this when we are dating, but normal people stop dating after being married. When was the last time that you surprised your spouse and took them on a date? And I want us to use the word spouse because, ladies, you can arrange a date as well. When was the last time you surprised your spouse with anything? And can I explain something? Dates don't have to be expensive. Melissa and I have learned to have a date on our back deck, just sitting and enjoying her a cup of tea, me a cup of coffee. We've learned that walking around the river, as great as that is, is a great date. When we sit beside each other and just talk about life, not always about the kids, not always about family, but we communicate. See, communication is so powerful that when you're married for a long time, you actually don't have to say anything. I don't know about you, but I know when it's time to leave without saying anything. I also have learned when it's time for me to shut my mouth. We've all learned facial expressions from our spouses when it's time to stop, when it's time to leave, when it's time to be quiet, when it's time for you to deal with the kid. We know how to communicate even without our words. But we stop talking and we still need to talk to one another. Men, we need to pursue our wives with words of affection. And those need to be words with non-sexual affection attached to it. What that means is express affection to her with no sexual strings attached. Tell her how much you love her. Tell her how much you think she's beautiful. Tell her how much you believe in her. Craig Rochelle, he encourages men in his book, and he says, we need to begin using the word because. We need to begin to use, not that quote yet, just go back for a slide for a sec, sorry. I jumped, I messed you up there, I apologize. But he says, we need to begin to use the words because. So when you tell your spouse you love her, tell her why. Because here's the thing. She also hears you bite into a steak or a cheeseburger and say, oh, I love this. (laughs) Tell her why. I love you because you're strong. I love you because you're a great mother. I love you because you love the Lord. I love you because. Tell her why. Ladies, men need words of affirmation. They need to know that you believe in them. This quote by Craig Rochelle says, a husband 
is in the process of becoming what his wife sees in him. I don't think some of you ladies understand the power that you have in your words over your husband. See, ladies, you wonder this, and men, you need to hear this. Ladies wonder every day, does he love me today? So you need to tell her and tell her why. But ladies, I need you to hear me. You want to know what men wonder? And I'm very, very stereotypical this morning. I understand that in this moment. But this is what most men wonder. Does she believe in me today? And so ladies, you need to tell him that you believe in him. What you speak into him is what you will get out of him. And that's what this quote is saying. Husbands are in the process of becoming what his wife sees in him. Even if you don't see it, but you know what's in there, begin to call it out. You want him to be a spiritual leader in the home? Tell him he's a spiritual leader. If he reads one scripture to you, tell him how amazing it was. If he prays over dinner, just lean over and be like, that was great. Encourage. We need to collaborate. We need to work together to have healthy marriages. The most romantic thing you can do for your wife is to help her without asking. Too often, it's still the stereotypical thing that ladies do most of the homework, the work at home, but we have to realize something. In most of our scenarios, husbands and wives work full time. So why should your spouse work full time and then work full time at home as you work a quarter time? We need to collaborate and work together. I saw these pictures on Facebook and this husband sent these, what he called these sexy photos to his wife so she would be, um, that he would make her be uh, attracted to him. I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. <laughs> and so here is the pictures. I'm gonna show you right in church. If we show the first picture. <laughs> he's got some laundry folded. Second picture, clean sink. No dishes. And ladies, men, you need to catch this next one. I think this is the most attractive one. We got married because of how special our relationship was. If that is changed, can I challenge you this morning to ask what happened. Chances are we slipped into the normal trap. The normal trap of we're married, we'll just let things work itself out, we don't have to really. No, put in an effort, work hard, work on it. Guys, we need to vacuum, we need to clean, we need to do some stuff. And can I encourage you on something? Two things, one, don't force her to ask you, and second, don't brag afterwards. Don't brag. The fact that you took out the garbage, don't brag about it. All right? Just do it. Be quiet. You will find out, and I can ask this question. Melissa's not here today. She's sick at home, and none of us actually want her here today. Um, I love her, but she is sick, so she's not here. Um, but I've learned something. My wife, and she'll confess to it, is a much happier person if she starts the day off with a clean kitchen. Any other ladies? Yeah, right? So men, can I just give you a suggestion? If your wife is busy, and understand I'm being stereotypical on roles, I'm just talking about some of our roles, um, 
My kids like it when Melissa starts putting them to bed. I always help at the end. We do devotions together. We pray together. But as they're getting ready for bed, they kind of don't, I don't know, they don't want me around. So, but what I do is I clean up our kitchen. And let's be honest, most of us have a dishwasher, so cleaning it up is not that challenging. I load the dishwasher, I wash, I wash some big pots, all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing, if I ate the food, I should probably clean some up. And so I clean up all the stuff and I put everything away. And if we don't get it to it at night, I'm always up earlier than her. And so I will do my devotions, drink my coffee, have some relaxed, quiet time. But then I'll go in the kitchen, clean it all up. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. And I do it because, guess what? My wife smiles and gives me a little kiss. It's all it takes. As long as I brush my teeth before, after having coffee. Just being honest. So men, maybe you need to watch a chick, uh, chick flick and learn some good pickup lines. I don't encourage all of them, but once in a while, throwing a little cheesy pickup line to your wife, telling her how beautiful he is. Is your name Gillette the best a man can get? <laughs> I told you, cheesy. You never heard that one? Oh, that one's good. I like that one. It's one of my go-tos. It's amazing, right? It's a miracle that I'm married to Melissa. <laughs> but that's what, guys, fall in love again. Work hard at it. Be weird about it. Don't let your friends influence you. When your buddies are all going out doing different things and you haven't been home in a while, or you haven't had a quiet night at home, take a quiet night at home. Your wife will love you for it. Ladies, speak life into your husband. Breathe life into them. They need to know how you believe in them. We need to talk about a relationship with our children. And children is not just your own children. Children is here at church. Robert Fulgum, he says this, don't worry that children never listen to you. Worry that they're always watching you. I've learned how much my kids watch me by their actions. When I see them do certain things and I'm like, that's me. Um, we've always talked and we confess all the time. I'm, I know it drives Melissa nuts, but I, and I'm trying to get better at it. But I leave my socks everywhere, all over my house. Um, I don't like socks. I don't like shoes in the, in the wintertime. You might even find me walking around the church barefoot just because I get tired of shoes and socks and I just take them off and I'm like, I'm done. Um, and so when I'm sitting at home, I'll take my shoes off. And of course, this time of year, I always have socks on. And so I'm lazy and I'll just hook my sock with my big toe and pull it off. And then I'll hook the other one and pull it off. Kind of lazy, but it's also a talent. And so, <laughs> but I'll, I'll drop them on the floor fully intentionally. Hear my heart, fully intentionally, like, I'll pick those up. I, I never pick them up. <laughs> but now my kids do it. And so when my kids' socks are laying around, they don't get in trouble. I get in trouble. <laughs> Melissa's actually basically given up, I'll be honest. And she's like, you know what? It's not worth it. She just picks them up and tosses them out. Or not tosses them out, sorry. Throws them in the locker. <laughs> <laughs> I never have socks. No. Um, but we actually read a book called Sacred Marriage, and I encourage you to read it. But in the book, this is what it says. It says, if something takes three to seven seconds or even 10 seconds for you to fix, it's not worth an argument. So Melissa realizes it takes about, you know, three seconds to scoop up the socks. She doesn't understand why I can't take the three seconds. But she'll pick up the socks, she'll toss them in the laundry, and she won't say anything about it. 
Now, there's certain things that she will do that I won't share this morning. She can confess herself. Um, that drives me nuts, but I realize it only takes three to seven seconds for me to fix it or change it, and so therefore, I just do it because it's not worth the conversation. With our kids, we need to let them make mistakes. We need to actually let them get hurt. What do you mean? Do you know how many times I've seen people on Facebook upset about their parenting because one of their kids broke something or hurt something, and they're like, I mustn't be a good parent. And I actually responded to one person. I'm like, no, your kid's outside. They're not on a screen. How often as kids did we get hurt? Right? Like how often when we're outside playing that like, you know, buddy broke his arm. I had a friend, we had a birthday party at our house, and a dude almost lost his eye running in, tagging after somebody just under a tree, and he just didn't see a branch, and it hit him in the eye. Like, there's certain aspects, like, look after your kids, but don't be afraid if they're outside. Let them play. Let them get hurt. Let them, let them work for money. Do you know my kids do chores at home, and they ask for an allowance all the time? And I said, I ask them all the time, like, why do you want an allowance? Well, my friends get one. And I'm like, that's nice. And they're like, but dad, I do all these chores. I'm like, you get fed. <laughs> oh, but dad, like, but I, I, if I did this extra stuff, yeah, you have a bedroom. Yeah, but that's my bedroom. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> that's my bedroom. No, your bedroom's over there. No, I pay for that one too. I allow you to stay in it. <laughs> For all the teenagers in the room, you don't deserve anything. If you have a bed, I just want you to know. No, I need you to know, and it breaks my heart. When you talk with Ruth or Richard with Simple Dreams, you'll find out how many people in our own city don't have beds. So if you actually have your own bed, be thankful. It breaks my heart. You can tell me I'm a bad parent, but I think I got pretty great kids. And my son, he bought a BMX bike, and he wanted this BMX bike. The dude cut grass all year. All, not all year, all summer. He's not cutting grass right now. But he cut, his, he cut lawns, and you, like, he worked his tail off, and he's like, and I, we've, we sat down, I'll tell you, he signed his first two lawns, he got two lawns, I took him to Balzac, because I said, anytime you have a business meeting, you have to have coffee, so I'm <laughs> raising him properly, and so we sat down, but he had his own notebook, and I made him open it up, and we broke down the math, I said, so how much are you going to make if you cut the lawns, this much, all right, so how much do you give to, to the Lord? He's like, uh, it's 10%, right? I'm like, that's where you start. So he broke down 10%. So he, and I said, I want you to write down your next total. He's like, why? I'm like, because that's your total. You don't even look at the top one. You give your tithe, and the next is what your top one is. Uh, so if you ask me, Chad, how much you make? I honestly don't know how much I make. I know what I have after my tithe. And that's all I operate with. And so I'm teaching my son this. And so then we sat down. I said, what percentage are you going to save for school? He's like, uh, 10%. I'm like, you pay for nothing. You're saving, and we worked it out, he saves about 75% of the total, not what he has after. And we broke it all down, and he ended up, he'd cut all these lawns, and at the end of the day, he had like $8 to spend a week. And I have to be honest, he was kind of like, this sucks. I'm like, you'll thank me when you graduate. <laughs> but I'm like, dude, you are, you're 10 years old. What do you need the money for? 
We would go somewhere as a family, and he'd be like, I brought my, my money. Can I, I'll pay for myself. I'm like, you're 10. You're my kid. Be quiet. You're going to make me look horrible. But we taught him that he can pay for some of his own stuff. One of the things we taught him is I, I believe that like, as a parent, I'll buy all of his sporting equipment that he needs. We took him to buy batting gloves, and there was batting gloves on sale. We're like, these are perfect. He's like, but I want those ones. I'm like, that's a $10 difference. He's like, yeah, but I really want those ones. So I gave him my money. I'm like, here's how much I would pay for those ones. You want those ones, go to the cash. You got your money with you. And he bought the higher up ones, and he paid the difference. Chad, seriously? Yes. We need to teach our kids responsibility. Go fund me when I was a kid was push more lawnmowers. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. There's some good GoFundMe accounts, but when a kid's doing a GoFundMe to go do something, no, go cut some grass. We need to provide for them. Don't hear my heart. My kids don't pay for anything that they need. I pay for everything that they need but it's their extra stuff that some of it, don't get me wrong, I still spoil my kids. I buy them too many things. But there are certain moments where I'm like, no, you need to understand what it costs to buy that. And here's what my son understands. One of his lawns he gets $20 for. So he understands when he goes to spend $20 that $20 costs that lawn. Because up to this moment, kids don't understand the value of money. We understand, hey, if I spend this amount of money, this is how much I have to work to get it back. They just think, hey, bank debt. No, teach them responsibility. Because here, Luke says, in Luke 9, 25, it says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose and forfeit their very self? Romans 12, 2, many of us know this verse, but I want to read it in the message version. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its levels of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We need to teach our kids to be mature in Christ. See, being a good parent for me is impossible unless I rely on God for his strength, his patience, his guidance, his wisdom, and his discernment. And this is what I want to teach my kids, that they need to trust God and they need to rely on him for his strength, his patience, get his guidance, his wisdom, and discernment. A great book to read if you're looking for one on parenting, Danny Silk, Loving Your Kids on Purpose. What I love about it, it concentrates on our relationship over our reputation. I never want to discipline my kids out of my reputation. Worried about what others think. Craig Rochelle says on page 125 of his book, it says, our greatest priority as Christian parents is to gradually transfer our children's dependence away from us until it rests solely on God. That is my responsibility. To raise my kids to love God and trust him so much that they no longer need me, they just need him. And nothing in my life am I looking forward to, and this is for everybody, that we need to lead our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, our nephews to follow Jesus. And I'm waiting for the day that's so joyful that I know that my kids hear from God so much and so clearly 
that they come to me telling me what they need to do. Dad, I feel this is what God's calling me to do. Dad, this is what I feel God wants me to do. Dad, this is who the person I believe I'm supposed to marry. And that I trust and know that I've raised them so correctly that they hear from God. I don't need to tell them what God says in their life. I've raised them to hear. So how do we deal with our friends? How do we have a relationship with our friends? There's an old French proverb that says, the art of pleasing is the art of deceiving. Here's the challenge with all of us. It doesn't matter how old you are in the room. We all want to fit in. This need doesn't go away in our lives. But we do have it misplaced. See, the problem with trying to please people and trying to fit in is we're trying to please people instead of God. And we should always just want to fit in with him. And if the two difficulties with that is this, if we just try to please people. First one is our relationship with God suffers. And second one is the relationship with ourselves. This is such a convicting statement, but in his book, Craig Rochelle says in one page 132, when we place the approval of other people ahead of doing what we know will please our Father, we are creating false, or we're creating a false idol. When I care more about what you think than what God thinks, I'm actually worshiping you over him. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't go so far to this that you're just being a jerk to everybody and be like, well, God wanted me to tell you. God says do everything in love. So we are supposed to love and we're supposed to put God first. And the reason I believe that Paul writes, and we do this all the time, or sorry, I do this all the time, I won't throw you in with me, but it says in Romans uh, 7, 15, it says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. But, I, but what I hate, I do. And I believe there's many of us that do this, and the reason we do it is not because we don't want to please God, but we're confused and we want to please people. So I do things I know I shouldn't do. I actually hate doing them, but I just want to fit in. And see, we talk to our kids about this, but as parents, we kind of slide back into it. And we need to live constantly, wholeheartedly for him. So how do you know if you're a people pleaser? Here's four things for you. You don't have to confess publicly at this moment. But one, you have a tendency to take criticism personally. A constant fear of rejection from those around them. Number three, difficulty in expressing their true feelings. And four, reluctant to say no, even when it's clear they should. When we put people first over God in our lives, it is a form of idolatry. And we need to realize that if somebody is just criticizing something, a decision you made, something you're involved in, they're not criticizing you personally. I learned this roughing hockey. When I roughed hockey as a kid, I got yelled at a lot. And I learned really fast when it came to hockey that nobody yelled at me because of my decision. 
they yelled at me because it was against their team. And like 30 seconds later, I can make the exact same call, but against the other team. And the people who just cheered for me are now booing, and the people who were booing are now cheering. And I realized quickly, this has nothing to do with me. We need to realize that when we're criticizing something or somebody's criticizing something, don't take it personally. It may actually have nothing to do with you. It actually may have more to do with them and their past than it has to do with you. See, Psalms 34, 9 says, Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. The word this morning said, he encamps around those who fear him. The fear we're talking about is a reverence, an honor. If you honor the Lord, if you revere him, if you put him as number one in your life, you will have all that you need. Galatians 1.10 says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be a Christ's servant. Be weird and put God first over your spouse, over your kids, and over your friends. Don't live a normal life. We were meant for so much more than that. I encourage you in all of your relationships, be a little weird. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the privilege and honor just to serve you. Lord, I pray that you help all of us put you as number one in our lives, that we will follow you, we will serve you the rest of our days, that, Lord, we will put you before our spouse because, Lord, I truly believe that your word tells us that if you are number one in our lives, everything else filters from there. And, Lord, if we place you first, everything else will operate smoothly. It's not perfect. It's still challenges in lives. But if you are number one, you will walk with us, you will hold us, and, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be good parents, to be good grandparents, to be good aunts and uncles, to be good spiritual parents, to pour into people that, Lord, the whole desire is that the next generation will stand on our shoulders and go even farther with you than we ever could. And so, Lord, help us. Give us the wisdom. Give us the knowledge. Give us people in our lives to mentor us and to lead us, not just in our marriages, but with our kids. And Lord, let us have people in our lives that are true friends, good friends, that breathe life into us, that Lord, speak life, that love us, that walk with us. Lord, I pray for everyone in the room to have healthy relationships, that Lord, you begin to operate in marriages in a way that nobody ever imagined. That Father, for the people that think they're on the verge, that today they decide to put you first. And Lord, spend time with you. Get up early and spend time and read your word and, and spend some time with you and that will help shape their marriage. I pray that today, no matter what's happened in the past, no matter what happened before this service, that Lord, um, husbands begin to speak love and words of affirmation and affection to their spouses, to their wives, Lord God. And I pray that wives will begin to uh, speak words of life into their husbands and, and call out the men of God that are in them and see them the way you see them. Lord, help us to see our families with your eyes and not ours. Lord, give us this today. Strengthen us and walk with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come.
come back and check out next week's message as well.